Thanks for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money. I'm your host, Tom, the Savings Captain, and I'm joined by my producer, Radish, the hardest working dog in podcasting. Well, hello. In this episode, we are going to turn back the clock to 1975. I'm going to tell you in a minute why we're going to turn the clock back to 1975 and why I'm just going to spend some time looking at some interesting things that took place during that year. Hey, but before we do that, if you are new to the Money Happy Hour or haven't done so already, please hit the follow button as it helps us reach more people. Well, thank you for joining today. Today, I don't have a guest in the studio. It's just Radish and I, and we're going to bring a, an important topic, just an interest, something I found interesting. I'm going to spend some time talking about 1975, and you'll see why I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But when I came across this topic, I said I didn't start out thinking, hey, what happened in 1975? <laughs> I actually stumbled into it. I was looking at the bear market of 1973 and 1974 it had something to do with the way yields are are going crazy right now. There was a bad bear market during that time where the market went down 50-something percent. And then I came across 1975 and then started going down a rabbit hole. But why is 1975 important? Well, if you invest in index funds, index ETFs, or individual stocks right now and don't pay a commission... I would say 1975 was probably the most important year in modern investing uh, history because it really set the stage for how we kind of know investments today. So I'm going to spend some time turning back the clock to 1975. So I, in 1975, I was like six, seven years old. So I don't really remember 1975 from an investing viewpoint. I knew it more from the eyes of a child and stuff like that. And I bet a lot of people in the audience weren't even born in 1975. So let's take a look at 1975. What was going on? What were some of the pop culture history things going on in 1975? Uh, one of the biggest things, I thought this was really cool, HBO, that's about when HBO started, they had probably one of the biggest world-changing events. If you've ever heard the term Thrilla in Manila, that was the fight that was broadcasted on HBO between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier live from the Philippines. Hard to believe that that took place in 1975. Um, hey, did you ever hear of the movie Jaws? That made going to the beach scary for the first time. Um, interesting thing about Jaws was, you know, this year we had a, a summer blockbuster and it seems like Hollywood puts out summer blockbusters almost every year. This year it was Barbie, but Jaws was the first summer blockbuster that Hollywood ever released. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show was also uh, released in 1975. That, that kind of lives on with a cult following today. This is kind of interesting. Gasoline cost 53 cents a gallon in 1975. And I think that would have even been after the big energy crisis. And that's, that's how I started looking into the bear market and, you know, all the recession that took place in the 73, 74 time period. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Could have got an ounce of gold for $139 an ounce. I think today it's around 1900 bucks. 
Oh, this is pretty cool. Going back to movies, a movie ticket, $2. Heck, that's even cheaper than uh, one share of AMC. Um, thought those were, those were pretty interesting. Oh, the captain loves this. The most, uh, the top song of 1975, Love Will Keep Us Together by none other than the captain and Tennille. <laughs> you knew the captain was going to, the savings captain was going to have to bring that up. I thought this jumped out at me. I looked at the top songs in 1975. Um, I would, if you would have guessed John Denver, had the same number of number one songs as the Eagles um, that year, along with Elton John, you would be correct. They both had two, they all had two number one songs. So a lot of, it's, when I look at like 1975, it seems like a lot of things that took place in pop culture then, it still seemed they're kind of like, even if you weren't born in 1975, you, you know what Jaws is. You know who Muhammad Ali was. You've probably heard the expression that BMW still uses, the ultimate driving machine. They came up with that slogan in 75. American Express came up with their don't leave home without it slogan, 1975. The Ford F-150, that was the first year it was produced. So a lot of things... Oh, here's another interesting thing that jumped out at me. Jelly Belly, uh, the gourmet jelly beans, 1975. So when I started looking at what happened in 1975, I was like, wow, there's a whole heck of a lot of things that we can draw back to from 1975 that just seems so common today. So I thought that was really interesting. But I started as a broker... In the early 1990s, I started in an environment where it was a full-service broker. When you went to a full-service broker, you paid a commission. If you were an individual small investor just looking to buy, you couldn't buy one share of stock. It was cost-prohibitive impossible. Um, 100 shares of a stock, depending on the price of the stock, it really didn't make sense because there was a minimum commission. But in 1975... The minimum commission rate allowed by the SEC was nine, was $49 each side of the trade, plus you had a bid and ask. Well, you still have that today. The only difference then, stocks trade in fractions. So if you were buying a $25 stock, you might have been paying 25 and an eighth or $25 and 12 and a half cents plus the commission. That's what you had to overcome on the buy side, and I guess the same thing happened to you on the sell side, just as, just as, just as well. Um, I remember the firm I was with. I think we would allow a fifty dollar trade. I mean, no one wanted to take it. I don't even think we were penalized as a broker if we wrote a commission that low. Like we were paid next to nothing on it. Um, a lot of times the standard commission would have been 150 bucks, 200 bucks, a percentage of the total trade. Sometimes they could have been as high as a thousand bucks. And my manager would let us, you know, discount it by 10 or 20% if it was a really good customer. But prices were fixed up until 1975. And if you were listening carefully, I was a broker in the early 1990s, so prices were no longer fixed in 1975. 
It took a while for, for that to change. But in 1975, a real interesting thing took place. It was called, on Wall Street, it was called May Day. And what that meant was the SEC... uh... Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app, or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. Did agree to no longer price fix commissions at a minimum of $49 per trade. And that went back to really the founding, the history there went back to the founding of the New York Stock Exchange. So I did a little bit of a history lesson here. 180-something years earlier, the New York Stock Exchange was founded it was back in 1792, and there was this agreement called the Buttonwood Agreement, and the Buttonwood Agreement was nothing more than like 24 brokers <laughs> meeting under a Buttonwood tree. They agreed to just charge commissions at a fixed rate, so that agreement stayed in place from 1792 to 1975. Like I said, a little over 100, uh, 180 years. So what do you think that did? It made a very clubby arrangement on Wall Street. And that's why up until about 19, in the 1960s, 1970s, Americans' uh, household participation in the stock market was only about 10 or 11%. And in the 1960s, things started to change a little bit. So if you think about it, those fixed commissions kept a lot of individual investors out. But it was actually the institutional investors that pressured, that were becoming a pressuring force to Wall Street. Because they're like good mega clients of these Wall Street firms All they're doing is sending large order flow to these brokers and having to pay a fixed commission. Um, I read it sounded like there were kickbacks given to them, soft dollar kickbacks, like additional research um, and those types of amenities like research reports. Um, That was kind of what brokers would do to kind of induce institutional trades to keep the business. But slowly but surely in the 1970s, and, you know, it's kind of interesting, this took place after one of the worst um, market periods, that 1973, 1974 market, the market was down like 52 or 54% top to bottom. So this change really came in place when the industry was, kind of at its bottom, at its at its knees, so to speak. And, you know, it, as you might guess, there wasn't a lot of celebration 
for most of Wall Street. Most people opposed this. They thought it would create financial instability with, um, with brokerage firms. But it was on May 1st, 1975, that the SEC no longer had regulated commission rates and brokers were able to change and charge a different commission. But hold on, change didn't take place instantaneously. There was really no pressure, uh, really no appetite for Wall Street to start lowering their commission trades. Like I said, in the 1990s, I was a broker and they were still high. They were still over $50 a trade. That was standard. Um, Charles Schwab was around. They established shortly after. Uh, they were the first true discount broker, um, but they really weren't taking market share because, you know, there was no online trading. You still had to go through a broker if you wanted information on stocks. So Wall Street still had that, in my opinion, stranglehold on information. So it really wasn't until the mid 90s when you started seeing prices come down quite a bit. Yeah, I was reading. I didn't realize this. After prices were actually lowered. So this is the intent was to help individual investors. So get this. Prices are lowered. Broker firms no longer had to charge $49 or set a commission. What did they do? They actually raised prices in most cases on the little guy. So they were, they knew they'd have to cost compete a little bit. So where they ended up cost competing was with the bigger customers, if that makes sense. So a person doing $100,000, 100,000 share trades, larger trades, well, their commission was cut. But the little guy coming in and off the street, we had a name for them, the Oddbot, Oddbot investors, if they wanted to buy less than $100 a share or 100 shares. Uh, another term we used was piker. <laughs> That's a small investor. That's kind of like what we do now in Robinhood and SoFi and Fidelity, where you buy just $5 of a stock just to get in it. Those, it was not a very welcoming environment. It wasn't like all of a sudden Wall Street rolled out the red carpet to welcome individual investors. So that, that change was really slow. But it's, in 2023, it's normal to us, isn't it? 48 years later, the movie Jaws, normal to us. 48 years later, not having a regulated, could you imagine making a stock trade and having to pay $49 each side of the trade? You wouldn't do it. We couldn't afford to do it. It wouldn't make sense. You'd be, you'd be buying CDs. So it just shows you over 48 years. The thing that really stuck out with me when I did this was 1975, what came out then, what happened then, and really how normal and embedded it is 48 years later to us right now if we would have went back one more year 49 years 1974 if the world stopped there we wouldn't be doing a podcast right now about investing in stocks we wouldn't be doing it that change was just amazing for me another change we sometimes kind of take for granted also took place in the year of 1975 and that was the founding of vanguard and i think i've shared this if you followed me on twitter Listen to some of my other episodes. You probably know I was fortunate enough to spend a large part of my career at Vanguard and hold, still hold that company in very high esteem. But 
Vanguard was founded in 1975. And the founding of that was almost by accident just as well. Most people probably know the founder, Jack Bogle, or John Bogle is his legal name. A couple interesting things that you may or may not know about John Bogle were this. Um, you may have known he went to Ivy League school. He went to Princeton. He went to a private, uh, a very competitive uh, private school. But he did not come from a wealthy family. Ironically, his family was financially wiped out in the stock market crash of 1929. The only reason he was able to go to school was he had a, uh, I think it was a wealthy uncle that, that set him up. So, gee, what would have happened if John Bogle in uh, New Jersey, that's where he was born, if he just went on and didn't go to school and worked in, you know, whatever industry at that time, went and worked in a, a plant or a steel mill. It's, it's funny how a chain of events and reactions can benefit certain things. So I think we all know where I'm going with this story was he founded, um, he founded Vanguard, which ultimately brought us in 1976, the first index fund, the first index fund, the Vanguard 500 fund. I forget what it was called. It was called something different at that time. But he, that was also an accident because he started Vanguard after he was fired from a very prestigious uh, wealth management firm, Wellington. He had, uh, you know, made a couple of, uh, a couple of costly errors in mergers and was, you know, fired, terminated. I believe he resigned. I'm not sure on all the specifics there, but essentially being shown the door um, led him to found Vanguard. And if you wonder, did he just think this, did he just think this idea up having, you know, index investing no, when he was at Princeton, he had wrote a thesis, and this was actually his um, this was actually his thesis that he wrote, uh, index investing and how hard it is to beat the market. And it was something, you know, it was his passion. So the time was right. He left Wellington. And uh, the funny thing is, Wellington actually manages one of uh, the large funds that Vanguard still runs today, one of their actively managed funds. But it wasn't instant success. And, you know, neither of these changes were embraced. You know, I'd, I'd say they were 1975 brought three fears to us. And go with me here on this. Jaws brought us the fear of sharks and going to the beach, I think, for the first time. I don't think the going to the beach in the summer has been the same since. In 1975, um, there was a lot of fear that uh, the SEC was called the Soviet something commission or something, Soviet, the Soviet Equity Commission, that we were, that this was communism now. I, I, I don't know how you, you draw that. And it's, it seems like it's the purest form of capitalism when you have a, a degree of price uh, c competition. So those were two fears, and I think the third fear, index funds were feared. They were not welcomed, as you'd imagine. They were also seen as kind of anti-American, an un-American way to invest.
but isn't it so common right now? It's the core of most people's portfolios. Whoever I interact with, clients I interacted with, whoever I interact with on X and other investors, it's a core holding for many of us. 48 years, what a difference how things have changed all from that year in 1975. In 1975, when the Vanguard 500 fund was introduced, actually it was 1976 by the time, early 76, by the time the fund was publicly available. I think only $11 million was raised. Of course, there was a lot less money in circulation from an equity investing standpoint. Now it's well over a billion. It's billions of dollars in that fund, rather. It's just so commonplace. So I hope you've enjoyed a little bit of this message. I found it fascinating to go back to 1975 I love investing. I love investments. I also like history, and I love when they kind of come together and tell a story and remind us kind of where we, how we got to where we are now. I mean, sure, we've got to love the New York Stock Exchange, the Gentleman's Agreement that was formed in whenever, 1792. Um, I've been to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. It's a wonderful place. I would love to have seen it when it was more paper-driven instead of all electronic-driven. So I think we got to give thanks to that history, but it's that progression of change making things making things possible. Um, and every time a change comes around, isn't it funny how we just our first reflex a lot of times is just to fear it, like oh no, this is going to be bad for the market. Brokerage firms are not going to have stability. Brokerage firms are going to financially suffer, and that's going to put more risk in the market. Whenever there's a big change, it's quite natural to just jump to um, the fear side of the equation. The opportunity gets at times so at so hard to see. So I think the same thing happened with index funds. It was such an easy it was such an easy sell for full service brokers to position. Why do you want to buy an index fund? You just want to be average. You just want to. You just want to not beat the market? You just want to average the market? Well, we're Americans, and for my audience that's not Americans, you can relate to this too. You're investing because you want to make money and you want to be better than average. So it's an argument that, you know, it makes sense. I don't want to just be average. Then you look at the numbers. 85% of active managers don't even beat the index. So, yeah, I do want to be average. It doesn't seem that bad. So it's interesting it took, I would say, for index funds to be more commonly accepted, I would say it was, give or take, the year 2000. Maybe it was the dot-com uh, debacle that, um, that made that a little bit more attractive. I don't know. But I would say, uh, I'd have to fact-check this with asset flows, but I'm just going for my observations where... Um, in the early 2000s, that's when that's about when I joined Vanguard, anyhow. So yeah, it must have been before that. That's when I had to, as a broker, sell against Vanguard. That's when I was running into the Vanguard objection uh, quite commonly. So, hey, kind of interesting. I think we can thank our fear of sharks, the change in stock commissions that we can buy fractional shares without a commission. We can index fund. 
1975, we thank you. We love you. I hope you found this episode enjoyable. With that said, we will see you on the next episode of the Money Happy Hour. And as always, Radish and I thank you for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money.